Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Security and Secure, hosted by me, Johnny Seifert. This is the Celebrity Mental Health Podcast, where I say it's okay to not be okay. And whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Apple Music, please leave a five-star rating, click that subscribe button, and leave a review. And let's keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. Today, you'll know as a student of the Married at First Sight 2023 experiment. Matched with husband Arthur, we saw her having to work the hardest of all the brides to show how a marriage should be, after previously being married and not wanting the same mistakes to happen again. However, after the final vows, we saw her make the brave decision to end the relationship and to find the self-love for herself. So to tell her mental health story and how she has grown since the experiment, I'm delighted to welcome to Sukuniska. It's Laura Jane Vaughan. Hello, Laura Jane. Hello. What a great intro. I'll stop. What? Been divorced twice, took left someone at the altar. To, yeah. Yeah. Great intro, great intro. Are you an LJ or a Laura Jane? Or you're just a Laura? What do you want to be for this? I don't mind. Paul Brunson calls me LJ. So, yeah, if you want to be part of the cool gang, do that. It's easier as well, isn't it? It's quicker. Well, Paul C. Brunson knows this. He is my god. So, basically, if Paul says something, I do it. So, I will go with LJ then. If that's what he's saying, that's what I'll do. So, we have so much to discuss. And I think the best place to start is at the beginning, obviously. So, let's go all the way back to the Laura Jane at school. And those first moments that kind of made you who you are. Because we know you've got a lot of barriers. We know you've put some boundaries up. And so, it'll be interesting to kind of break those boundaries and just work out... Why are you the way you are? And therefore, why did we get a version of you on TV that for some audience members wasn't taken as it should have been? I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, go back to kind of formative years and all that jazz. So I think it's funny. So just taking it back to present day, just quickly, I've definitely been seen as this very overtly confident individual that is direct, you know, very poised, very succinct. That has definitely not always been the case, that far from actually, that's something that I've probably only really harnessed over the last few years in truth. So I think I'm a twin, first and foremost, I think it's important to talk about that if we're going back to childhood. My twin is amazing, it's so, so intelligent, so bright. My brother was light years ahead of me, you know, he was super, super, is super, super clever. And yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think 
from a young age, I was always aware of that, you know, just silly things like if we had a test, you know, at school, I would always be worried about how I was going to do. And I'd try and cover it up by being like, oh, it was a really hard test. But I knew that my brother would be like, no, like it was easy for him. But at school, I just really didn't fit in at all. And I and I don't just mean, you know, like I, I got picked on a few times. I mean, I was, I mean, firstly, I was a very unfortunate looking child. I really did kind of, I gave it to the bullies on a plate. <laughs> you know, like I was not, I was a very easy target aesthetically. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't a cute kid. And obviously kids are mean and horrible. And that really was just my school experience from very young to kind of the awkward teenage years where you're supposed to grow into your looks and I just kind of grew out of them, like really didn't grow into my looks at all. But it got so bad that like a standout moment for me is it was in a music lesson and I dreaded music lessons, right? Because Not because I didn't like the lessons. I love, I'm quite musical, like I can sing. It wasn't that at all. It was the fact that all the kids would, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have the safety net of sitting behind tables. You'd be sat round in a big square, everyone looking in on everyone. And that to me was crippling, like everyone would have me in their sight range to make a comment about. And I remember one of the kids, I won't name who he is because he probably won't remember this, right? He has no idea that he's formed such a huge part of my like confidence and self-esteem. But he said out loud, Laura, sort your teeth out. And the teacher just didn't know what to do. So obviously it was in the middle of the lesson. No one was saying anything. Um, and he just went, okay, well, I'm sure she's trying to. And I was just like, I just want to die. Like, it was so, so horrible. And it wasn't just girls that were being mean, it was boys that were being mean, you know? Like, I remember my stepdad was in enraged one day because I came home and someone had, like, one of the boys that was in, it was in year 11, so we're not talking like little kids, we're talking about children that should be, should know better. He threw like sandwiches. He used to throw sandwiches at me on the bus. That was his favorite thing to do on the school bus. And I remember one day I'd kind of hidden how bad it had got to my parents. And I told my stepdad and he was like, well, I'm going to go around to this boy's house. Like I'm not having it anymore. And it wasn't like everyone would be like, you know, maybe he just fancies you. No, 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 no. Like I was so self-aware that that was not the case. It was just like, it was just bullying. And my stepdad went around to his house. His parents were out. So he said to this boy, he was like, look, if you continue to do this, I will take it further because you're old enough to know better now. Like you're, you know, you're a teenager. You, this is becoming beyond like just typical schoolyard bullying. And the kid was like, yeah, okay, like com completely non-committal. And the next day, this boy, I thought, oh, maybe it'll be better. I got on the on the school bus and I turned around and this boy was here to me and squaring up to me. And like that for me was just terrifying, like really, really. And I just thought at that point, like, what's the point? There's no help for me. Like, you know, even we've even spoken to him on a level and it's just enraged the situation and made it so, so much worse. And yeah, like I was the kid that would go and eat her, like genuinely go and eat her lunch in the toilets. And I'd like have the um, the roadmap of like lesson to lesson. I used to look at my timetable and think, what's the quickest way I can get from lesson to lesson without being seen? 
Like, how sad is that? The version of you now, 34 years old, looking back at that 16-year-old Laura Joan, what do you think were the reasons why you were being picked on? Because the, the bullies come from a place of jealousy. I was bullied at school, and I spoke mm-hmm. to the bully years later, and he said to me, it's because you had so many friends, and I didn't. I struggled to make friends, and therefore... I just picked on you because I didn't like that you had friends and we were about eight years old at the time. What was the reason now, do you think, that they were picking you, especially to get to that level of throwing sandwiches and knowing that's wrong as well? Yeah, I honestly think it was it was a, 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 like an issue within the school. I don't think the school had bullying under control at all. I was, I'm 34, so I don't know what the school system's like now, but I went to a school when it was uncool to be clever. You know, like if you were, like, term boffin was used, mm. you were, like, if you were even slightly above the average intelligence, you were, like you were easy, you were prime meat ready, you know, to be picked on. And I I genuinely don't think it was anything about jealousy. I don't think it was anything about, you know, like an undertone of the boys liking me or anything like that. It was just pure in its like most undiluted form of hate for children. I do think the children that picked on me, they were obviously very unhappy within themselves. It's funny because obviously when you're gifted a like a platform like this and people see you in their own homes like decades later I've had so many people reach out to me from school and be like oh my god I went to school with you and oh, no, like don't have any of the bullies done that though any of the ones who actually yeah. done that and what mm. what was your response and if you've not messaged them back what was your internal thought process for that I haven't messaged anyone back because I think you know if you've been following me on socials you know that I don't like to character assassinate anyone or anything like that but I mean the first thought was you've got such lack of your own awareness you you made my life a living hell and it's easy to to brush that off as just childhood antics but it was so much more than that for me it did form who I am now as a very guarded untrusting person so this is the other thing for me is I just don't trust anyone like I would I would rather be that's why I'm so self-sufficient I think you know everyone says that they've got walls well like mine have got armed guards around them like they're reinforced walls you know like that's the level of damage and hurt it has done to me even in my mid-30s now and that's no mean you know that's not no small feat that's that's taking a girl at her most impressionable and her most most aware of how you are coming across. You're just coming of age and you're you're very aware of your looks and you're very aware of how you're being perceived by others. And I just was a shell of myself. It would even inform how I dress. And like, if I put makeup on to try and my, make myself look better, I would be picked on more. Like, so there was absolutely no help for me whatsoever. Anything I did was picked on I just wanted friends I just wanted a nice school I remember my nan saying to me like these are the best school you'll look back and think school years are the best years of your life and I was I remember thinking to myself what on earth is to come then because if this is the best what I don't even want to think about what is you know in my future because it can't get any worse than this because you've still got those questions because you haven't had that closure and also that weird thing that people think that you forget I mean I never understand this you sit in the Christmas films oh we were at school together and I'm like surely you know who you were in school with you don't forget 20 years later who was in your year at school like I I don't Mm. understand I went to the biggest Jewish school in Europe and so we had 2,000 kids in my school I could tell you everyone in my year and we had 300 people but 
is it because you haven't had the closure that you've got these questions and obviously this attitude because you haven't got the answers to the questions you probably still even though you're 34 years old and even if you're in your 60s want to know of what was wrong with me yeah I think it is tough I I remember thinking like there's obviously something about me that these these people don't like but I just couldn't pinpoint and I do think it was a bit of gang mentality as well I think as soon as one person picked on me I was a prime and easy target for for lots of other people um and I do think that our school in particular was very like you know you had to be in the popular group you weren't there to learn you were there to be accepted by society within and by, by society I mean within the school yard that was what your prime purpose was in that school you were not there to learn if you were there to learn god forbid you look clever because you will be raked over the coals for it it stopped me from answering questions in class when I knew the answer it you know stopped me from wanting to put my hand up and be like, I know this, I, because I would just draw so much attention to myself. I didn't become the full realised version of myself at school because of that. You know, I probably could have harnessed certain things in my brain a lot better. I could have been more educated if I wasn't so preoccupied with falling under the radar and making sure that I never did anything that would get seen or get me noticed. That takes us up to the age of 18, and that's your school years, right? Let's put that box there. Yeah. Let's open the next box, which came along when you were 19 years old and your father sadly passed away. What did that do to you? And what was your grief journey to understand who you were now as you were going into your 20s and trying to find out your own identity, but you didn't have that male role model above you to guide you in that direction? My relationship with my dad had really come to its... Like, it had come full circle... Um, when I was like 18, 19, I left university and he just embraced me. He was like, you know, I'd always lived with my mum before. And then at university, I obviously had lived another life. And my dad was like, well, what next? What do you want to do? Like, what, what is it that you want to get out of life? And he was a real guiding hand. He helped get me my first job. And we'd really found like such a lovely stride in our relationship. And I think when you're a, a child of divorce, you always hold resentment in equal measure you know and I as an older you know I was a lot younger when my parents divorced and and when I was like 18 19 and spending so much more time with my dad I just understood things better and I had a better relationship with both parties because I was able to comprehend what happened losing a parent in your teens or in your early 20s is devastating anyway but the cancer that my dad had was stomach cancer and it is probably one of the most aggressive forms of cancer that there is out there. I still remember him like the first time he wasn't able to finish a meal and he didn't know why. He went to get help and unfortunately he was just let down by the NHS and to the point where months later he went in to have um, like a scan of his stomach, like an endoscopy. And they couldn't even really get the camera down there because he just didn't have a stomach left. It, it was all gone. Like then, then that. So the day that I found out that my dad had cancer was the day that I found out that he was going to, I was going to lose him to cancer. Like there was no moment in time where this was ever going to be treatable. And I remember him telling me, he came to pick me up from work one day and I was like, oh God, this is really nice. Like my dad's come to pick me up from work. This is great. And I just remember looking, I was sat in the back of the car and I remember looking in, in the mirror. My stepmom looks pretty tired. They dropped me off and they and they came into the home and they were like, 
my then boyfriend, they were like, when is he coming back? And I was like, when is he back from work? And I was like, what weird questions to ask. But obviously they were making, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be left on my own after this news. And I was stood in the kitchen. I, I refused to sit down. I just remember, isn't it weird what your body does and your responses, your flight mode just kicks in. And they were like, sit down. Like, And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to sit down. What's going on? And then they told me and... I just hit the deck like I'd never dealt with grief I hadn't I'd been so fortunate at that point I'd never lost a family member so the first experience that I was having with grief was arguably one of the most important people in my life ever and then to watch him suffer the way that he suffered and become so small and weak physically was just like genuinely devastating. And, you know, like he was a six foot one, six foot two man, and he weighed, I think it was like six or seven stone at the end of his life, you know, like really, his neck was like the width of his Adam's apple. God bless my stepmom. She used to have to, you know, we used to sit at his bedside with his cotton wool to like moisten his eye, eyes because he wasn't able to close them. He wasn't able to blink anymore. Hard, very difficult. What's the relationship with your stepmom post uh, your father passed? We've got a great relationship. Um, I am so fortunate to have that, I suppose, you know, has been one of the good things that's come out of a, a big loss is that I do have an, an additional person to lean upon. And my dad always said to me and her and my brother, you know, like, look after each other. Because I think it was that manly thing of, like, wanting to make sure everyone was okay and lent on each other. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of, like, your original question, how how it felt to lose my dad was it made me incredibly fearful of abandonment. And, and I don't mean abandonment in the sense that my dad didn't choose to leave. Like he loved me with his last breath. But what it did do is create such an emphasis on a male partner in my life. And that's something that I've realised. <laughs> like, oh, I could have told you that. As soon as I saw your yeah. opening VT on Married at First Sight, the first thing I thought about and the first note I wrote down was fear of abandonment because you could see it straight away. Yeah, and, you know, I have... The, I always say this, every therapist I've ever been to see, I've always said, there's that quote, isn't there? Like, there's only one certainty in life and that is it, it goes on. And I would always replace those three words with people always leave. That's how I view life, you know, whether that's through a failed relationship or through my dad's passing, uh, that has created such an, a narrative in my head now that is very tricky to forget and unlearn. It's a tough one because the Laura that I present to this day is someone that's like incredibly, like I said at the start, self-sufficient, very confident, um, you know, doesn't need anyone. What I do that to protect myself. That is very much self-preservation. I remember a therapist saying to me, you know, like, why do you have this fear of being left? Because, you know, we're born into this world. That's one certainty that we, you know, we'll die. We come into this world alone and we'll die alone. And I said, well, I didn't come into this world alone. I came into it with a, a boy, with a brother, with a twin. That's no coincidence that I struggle 
with and put so much emphasis on a male partner you know like I I've always had that person that you know I came into this world with a brother and I think that's why the bond with any future partner is is so strong for me because I didn't come into this world alone I do like being with someone but I just can't seem to get the two to connect Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You came into this world with a mum and a dad and Mm. because your dad left you before you knew your real self and bearing in mind that Laura Jane that was getting bullied at school was still 16, 17 years old, there wasn't enough time between that bullying stopping and you leaving school to go into university to finding out your real identity and building up that self-esteem for yourself before your dad passed away. And so basically your dad was with you still, you weren't really your own identity. And it was interesting because what, what what I watched on Mad at First Sight, when you had the homecoming and you had your two friends at the pub with Arthur, I can see you're disengaged with my friends and I'm going to leave you before you leave me. Because if I see what you're mm-hmm. like now and I can see that you're not really engaging with my friends, you're not really engaging with me, you don't really care, you're going to run away and I'm going to be left like normal. And so 
I want to have the upper hand because I'm always on the back foot. And so I'm going to leave this before you get the chance. And I think that's where that field of abandonment that we got to see on TV came from. And I think if you strip that all the way back, yes, you had a twin. And obviously that's a whole other thing. But I think your father leaving you was you not knowing your true identity and then going on to experiment I married at first sight is kind of just kill me now. Just go on, go and abandon me. Come on, come on, cast, you know whether it's a tv viewer someone on instagram someone you're gonna get that rejection in some shape or form i think it's the self-fulfilling prophecy as well isn't it it's like if all you're worried about is being left i mean firstly that will probably mean that you either do one or two things you stay in a relationship for longer than is healthy for you because it's better than being on your own or you'll leave before you're left. I think there were so many things that were quite confronting about the whole experiment for me that really taught me that I haven't probably, as much as I think I've boxed some things off, I probably haven't. I think the couples retreat dinner party when you saw me have it out with multiple boys, guys around the room, that felt very much at school for me. Like, you know, what I just said at the start of this, in terms of it was mainly boys that were picking on me at school. The only difference was this time I found my voice in order to be like, come on, what what is the problem? Like that, let's have a conversation. There's been things said about me behind my back. And I think that was such a 360 moment for me because it had I been faced, you know, with that situation at school when I was a lot younger, I would have sat very carefully, accepted everything that was every name that was thrown in my direction very much sat underneath the radar but this time and I will preface this with the fact that I actually had a panic attack before going on set so that's the oh that day was the one of the only times that I saw physical mental health symptoms at play with me you know I couldn't breathe it was the day of the dinner party and obviously you'll have seen the bit in Married at First Sight at the end of the episode before where Arthur sits me down and says, you've got a lot of hate and you've got a lot of heat tonight. And what you didn't see as a viewer is, um, obviously you're seeing an edited version, is Arthur sat me down and said, bam, 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 bam. And he didn't mean it like that at all, but that's all I heard. I was like, he didn't, almost like he didn't pause for breath. He had so many things that he needed to reel off because there was so much to talk about that he didn't give me any breathing space. And I stress the fact that that wasn't a malice thing at all. It was just that he was very aware that we needed to get this onto camera. And it was just, this person said this, 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 he said this, 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 you know, and here you go. Here's a plate full of shit for you (laughs) to deal with. And it got to the point where even one of the story producers was like, are you in there, Laura? Because I ha- I don't think I reacted the way that they expected me to react. I literally sat down and I was, I think you can see that I'm quite despondent, quite defeated. And all I do is just murmur, are you okay? And like, didn't react to anything that had been said about me or that he just explained. And they were like, Laura, um, Arthur, do you want to just rephrase it a little bit? Because that's quite a lot for, uh, for Laura to take in. So I think they could see that already I was on a bit of a spiral. So that night after we filmed the scene, obviously this is all late at night as well. And the the one thing you want to do is go home and just like sit in your feelings and not face anyone. And the last thing you really want to do is talk about it on camera. So the next morning we knew we had the dinner party and I knew that 
obviously the dinner party is like the crescendo right so that's where everything comes to a head and and you need to talk about things that have been said the day before or the week before and because of the nature of what had been said about me I was kind of kept back from the rest of the group I remember the group going on to the dinner party we were filming away so it was a couple's retreat so we were filming a barn and I was kept back to Vox, which is when you you talk to the camera, you know what a Vox is. And so I was Voice kept, box. I was the last to leave. I was the last to leave. I kind of knew what was coming. I was like, there were questions rightly being asked, like, is there anyone you want to talk to? Obviously, you know that certain things have been said following a conversation with Arthur. And I just realised that I was answering and I wasn't breathing. I was putting so much thought into what I was saying. I wasn't breathing. I was hyperventilating. And I was trying, but I was, because I'm ever the professional, I was trying to fight against it. And then one of the grooms who had said one of the most damning things about me walked across the set. And at that point, I was like, <gasps> and got like, thank God the the. PD behind the camera was like, this is beyond, that. we can't allow this anymore. Like, we'll stop this. You need welfareing. She was like, some things are more important than a box. End of. And I'm so glad she made that decision because I don't think I would have done that myself. Um, I think I would have fought and fought until I had no breath left. And I remember them sending a welfare person and then I remember and I love this this the what the guy that they sent was amazing but there was this one welfare person uh, his, his name is Harry and um why am I getting emotional at this bit I said it's gonna have to be Harry bring Harry because I knew like I think I'm I'm quite aware self-aware and I know what mental health is and I and I knew that I was in the throes of a panic attack Harry came and I just he was like right breathe with me breathe with me sit down we sat down and we chatted and he was like you don't need to do this if you don't want to do it and I was like no I know I need to do this because I think it's so important for me like it it got, runs so much deeper than married at first sight for me it's a part of me that needs to become realized and have my say and not everyone's going to like you in life, and that's absolutely fine. But understand why certain things have been said and then have your chance to have a rebuttal, which is what you were robbed of for years of your life at school. So let's do this. And credit to Harry, like, I genuinely don't think I could have made it through that day had he not just said the exact right things at the exact right time and just given me such a space, safe space to sit in my feelings before I went on to the dinner party. And at the dinner party, I think you can tell that, you know, when it feels like an elephant's foot is on your chest, I think you can see that in some of the conversations that I'm having, particularly when we were sat at the dinner party, we had a break and Harry came and whispered in my ear. He said, um, and I'll never forget, he said, if you want to have your moment, do it and don't be afraid because I think you'll be shocked at the support there is for you around the table. He had gone round and listened to everyone else's conversations in order to give me that safe space and assurance that I wasn't going to be sticking my head again above the parapet on my own. And he was right. There was so many other people at that table that had my back and were enraged about the situation. A lot of the girls really felt for me. And it just gave me that assurance that it was going to be okay. 
So that's when I kind of said my bit and you can hear the waver in my voice. I don't remember exactly word for word what it was, but I was like, can I just say something? There's been a lot said about me and like, we're all sat around this dinner party, this dinner table now. And I just feel like now's the right time to have it out. You know, can I just have some context? Like I want to understand what, why you have formed this opinion of me and why it's so polarizing and cutting and it feels such a personal attack. I think that was such a, a huge moment for me to be able to really like lean into how it made me feel. I mean, not many people wanted to listen, you know, it was very much like, this is how we feel and and you prove us wrong. But for me, like, if you are the one that's formed an opinion about someone, the onus is on you to, to, have, to be proven wrong. Like, it's not for me to prove you wrong. You've formed that opinion. Why? Give me a chance. And I do think that there were certain prejudices that were, were at play. Um, I think you saw that very early on in the series when I was called a gold digger by one of the other grooms. If it hadn't been so hurtful, it would have been funny because it's just, I don't know if you if you um, caught up with that particular issue, but it was actually like the very opposite that I am. Um, I've always funded like my marriage before I came on Married at First Sight was paid for by me like the lifestyle was my money my dad's inheritance like it, it it was just hilarious that that was the kind of thing that was being kind of said about me um so yeah I think it's it's been really interesting in the experiment aside from the relationship dynamics and learning about yourself in a safe space with the experts in the marriage and like as two people it is also just really interesting to see Exceptions of other group members, like friendships evolving, devolving, and really, I mean, it's just a, it's a mini society when you're filming for those like nine, 10 weeks, you know? So there's so many issues, societal issues that come out of it. When you look back now at the experiment, at the marriage that you had been through, at your passing of your father, at that school child, Laura Jane, age 34 now, how do you look at the version we now have of you having gone through all those different barriers and having to go through all those different journeys? Because every journey has made you stronger and stronger and stronger. So now you've come away from Alex's first sight. It's been a couple of months. How is Laura Jane Vaughan doing right now? Mentally, I'm at a bit of a crossroads. I think now that the series is is fully out, listen, you know, you would have heard the other people saying it's one thing in living those feelings at the time and then watching them back kind of like six months later but when it comes to an end as well it's like what now mm. what am I doing and how am I going to harness what I've learned about myself how am I going to channel that what's my next step who am I without maths because maths has been part of my life certainly for a year now just over a year I had so much hope um, I, I think that's the key thing here it's like you go into it not really having knowing what to expect but obviously there's that part of you that's like this could be everything and it hadn't hasn't worked out that way for Arthur and I and that's fine you know we have a good friendship now but then I suppose I'm like the thought of being in another relationship now is just 
very daunting, like very, very daunting. And um, I think I'm drained is probably the way that I'm feeling and just trying to be that person that people saw on screen all the time, that very strong female. Something really amazing did come out of it. I've been getting approached by a couple of schools across the UK asking to come in and talk about self-confidence and standing up for yourself. Like what a moment considering what I just told you at the start, you know, how my school journey was. How amazing is that 360? to actually be asked by schools to go in and talk about mental health and you know self-advocacy like through every low that I've felt throughout this experience is quickly followed by a high and the next thing I want to do has got to be I don't want it to be rapid I don't want it to be empty I want it to be something that's meaningful and will make a difference because that is all I really want to do you know people have constantly said you know you on here for fame and I'm like if status and fame comes with the opportunity to be able to speak to people and share experiences then sure yeah but are those the people who saw you on celebs go dating are like well she did celebs go dating now she's mad at first sight other people did Georgie Shaw and then I'm married at first sight. And it's like just going to a load of reality shows around love and therefore you get the phone. It's a it's a yeah. it's a really hard thing to balance. Like TV is fun, obviously. If you get a flavor of it, you're gonna to want to do more TV, but that's not the real you, that's the professional you. But this is still the real you, the mm. mental you that has to be put on these processes still. And I did serve go dating very quickly before married at first sight because I'd been approached for both like I was in talks with maths at the same time as um Serbs go dating and I remember thinking I've never done tv before my life pre-maths and pre-tv was so so risk averse you know I had a very boring job I had a very like finance is interesting isn't it you do spreadsheets Uh, tabs you do so I didn't know how I would live up to that Mm. level of you know weeks and weeks of filming so I thought if I do celebs go dating it's a two-day shoot at least I can see if it's something that I'm even okay with or will enjoy and I and I did the shoot and I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the friends that I made you know behind the scenes and so my answer to that is you know people that are like oh she's home hungry and, and the others as well it's just like well um your intentions are still up for grabs right you know like I still wanted to find love that's why I did they were both based around romantic relationships you know if you've gone on for fame alone and you're met with your absolute prince charming or the woman of your dreams at the end of the aisle you're not going to go oh no 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 sorry I don't I can't fall in love with you because I'm just here for fame like (laughs) do you know what I mean it just doesn't make sense but also it's very hard when you're in your 30s now to find people because you're it using is. the dating apps. There's no one doing it. I think all the apps are broken out anyway. And so you're like, where else am I going to do I I would go on Married at First Sight. And I've spoken to Paul C. Brunson about this. I would go on Married at First Sight. The problem is I know I'll get on the show and that's what scares me. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all just want to be loved again. Um, and to wrap it up, mm-hmm. I just want to go through a couple of quotes I took from your Instagram because what I hope will happen is that you and the watcher and the viewer and the listener will be able to 
just now break down all those little points you've put on Instagram. So let me read these out and let's see if we feel like we've got the real Laura Jane off this. So I faced emotions I'd buried deeply for years. I'm proud to stand up for myself and encourage anyone who feels judged or misunderstood to exactly the same. I've always been a fixer, but I've realized this relationship can't be fixed. But everyone that's called me cold and stuck up, I urge you to advocate for yourself the way I have. I've had to detach myself at times because otherwise I'd be a wreck. I just think you've given in this episode answers to all those five quotes and we've been able to understand the journey you've been on. And hopefully now all those haters will become lovers of you to go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you went through that. Mm -hmm. And I hope you get the closure, Laura Jane, just to go into your late 30s and early 40s and have that self-love, to have that second chance, to have that second version of your life based on all those experiences you had in the first 35 years. Yeah, and if they don't and they don't see that, then that's also fine. You know, like if, if there's, if I've not won over every single viewer, that's absolutely fine. That's representative of the fact that we're all different and we see things differently and we, we have different perceptions and different narratives at play and that's beautiful like I don't I'm not here to, my MO was not to go in and be loved by every single person that's not who I am but if I can at least give some light and shade to my story arc then that's amazing Thanks to Laura Jane Vaughan. If you love the Married at First Sight 2020, The Experiment, there are episodes in the Security and Secure Library for you to watch right now with Erica, with Roz, with Bianca, and with Ella. And if you enjoyed this episode, then click that subscribe button, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. And let's keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. On TikTok, at JohnnySeaFit92, I'm putting teasers of all the episodes out there. There's loads of clips coming out every single day on Instagram, at JohnnySeaFit, at and Secure Podcast, and on X, at JohnnySeaFit. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Johnny Seaford. Until next time, thank you, and goodbye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code 
code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.